Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Every one of these episodes is different. Every story is different. This is um, a really unique story. I have three people in my home, two women and a man. Um, I'll introduce the man first. Um, Dan Link, welcome to the podcast, Dan. Thank you. Um, Dan is gay. He's active Latter-day Saint. He um, was married, is married to his husband, Ryan, who died. So I'm going to use that you are still married because Thank if that's you. okay, because yeah. this marriage hasn't ended. He has passed away. You're the father of three kids. And part of this story is um, Dan grew up in the church, um, served a mission, and then felt his best path was to find a partner. And this is a beautiful love story of Dan and Ryan, 18 years together. Ryan got sick and passed away. And part of the story is their ward in Harriman just loving Dan and Ryan and bringing them food and supporting them and loving them. And Ryan has since passed away. And Dan felt his next best path was return to the church. He's active in the church. He's raising his three sons or their three sons in the church. And we'll talk about that journey, including doing temple work for Ryan um, and just this beautiful, unique story out of a ward in Harriman. I don't want to give away the whole story, so I'll just move on. Um, <laughs> then we have two wonderful women that are friends and actually were in the same ward in Harriman, but due to ward divisions and stake divisions, they're now in the same physical homes, but are in different stakes. And Kristen Sokol, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me here, Richard. I'm just delighted to be able to be part of telling this amazing story. And Mickey Eberhardt, um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. I'm thrilled to be here as well. So Kristen is in Dan's ward and has seen this story firsthand. So she'll give the perspective as a ward member and the transformation this ward went through. Uh, Mickey um, is a stake release society president, was preparing for ward con conference and wanted to give a talk a little bit about, you know, it's to love our neighbor. Um, and that may be easier when our kids are the same, our beliefs are the same, our politics the same. Um, we say cheer for the same sports teams. But um, Mickey felt impressed that, you know, how do we show genuine love, care and concern for our neighbors that are nothing like this? or nothing like us. And so she went out to lunch with Kristen, and Kristen told um, Mickey about Dan and their ward story. And so this became the focus of Mickey's ward conference talk in her stake. And it's just a beautiful talk. Dan actually came to hear it firsthand, I believe, and brought some of your kids. And so listeners, this is a unique story, and our hope is that this podcast will help you better support, understand, and see LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and see that as we love and support them, um, it creates Zion. It's also really brave of Dan to share his story. I don't think he's ever shared his story publicly, his journey. Um, but um, Dan, maybe rightly so, was on the assumption that everybody really didn't like him and didn't want him to be there. Because I think you probably heard negative things at times about people like you. So part of this story is Dan being willing to consider the church again and 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 heal from perhaps some of the pain. Is that okay for an introduction, everybody? I think you know that. Absolutely. Spoken, yes. Um, Dan grew up in Salt Lake City, went to Brighton High School. He's in his mid-60s. Um, Kristen, tell our listeners 
where you grew up. I grew up in Riverton and I landed in Harriman, not too far from where I grew up. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a pioneer stock, sort of dyed in the wool. Yeah, Utah. So you're living the closest to where you grew up. <laughs> Definitely. And yeah. tell us your station in life. Are you single, married, kids? Yeah, I'm married um, about 19 years. I have a senior in high school and a sophomore in high school, two girls. Um, I'm in my mid-40s and have been living in the same house in Harriman for 18 and a half years. So we haven't done much moving around. And, and so we've been lucky enough to be in the same neighborhood with Dan for most of that time that we've been in Harriman. And uh, Mickey, tell our listeners where you grew up in your station in life. I grew up in Sandy, Utah, and am now in Harriman. And I'm listening to Kristen saying, gosh, we sure have a lot in common. Um, I am married. I celebrate my 20th wedding anniversary in a couple of days. And oh. we have three kids, um, two girls and a boy. And this year, they're all top dogs in their school. I've got a senior, a ninth grader, and a sixth grader. And they may all have big heads because How about they think that? they're pretty great. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, and I have also been in my house for about 18 years. And oh, no, that's not true. 17 years. You're right. You're looking at me. No, like, no. I just, time flies. 17 years, which, yeah, is we've been out there a long time. And I've loved it. I've loved getting to know all of these amazing people that I live around. And Dan, tell us, since we're making sure we tell everybody about kids, tell us the ages of your boys. My boys um, start at 16, and he'll be in the 11th grade this year. I have a 14-year-old son, and he'll be in ninth grade. And my 10-year-old will be in sixth grade. That's great. All three of you have kids in the same world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. We are empty nesters, so our family, our youngest does not overlap with your oldest. <laughs> um, I think the order we're going to go through, listeners, is we're going to have Mickey start and kind of um, talk about her impression she wanted to do in her steak, as I mentioned. Then we're going to spend a good chunk of time, rightly so, on Dan sharing his story. I think he's going to talk about just navigating being gay and LDS. This would be growing up in the 70s, um, which is very different than now. Um, we're going to then talk, Kristen's going to talk um, about her take on this whole story. We'll probably give us insights from the ward and how the ward responded to Dan and Ryan when they first started to come. And just act on the impressions you feel as this, you hear this story about how you can be a better ally, a local leader. If you're LGBTQ walking this road, hopefully some of the things that are shared will help you have more hope and more peace. So Mickey, I think you're first. Okay. Well, I we had a new stake president that was called um, earlier in this year. And they decided that our theme for our stake was going to be um, that united in Christ, we can become one. And coming off of some divisive politics and COVID, that was, that was the perfect theme for our stake. And I was given the assigned topic for word conferences to speak on how do we become united in Jesus Christ as neighbors and community members. And this was something that I was allotted a mere eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was the second hour combined with Relief Society and Elders Quorum. And I think eight minutes is a harder time limit than anything else because 15, you can kind of rift and mm. five is a testimony. And so I really had been thinking about this and I put a lot of notes on my phone. And one of the things I really wanted to focus on, I knew was 
how do we love our neighbors that are nothing like us? And I heard the term one time called preschool discipleship, that it's just so easy to love those that are like us. But what do we do when somebody that is a different religion or a different race or has nothing to do with the things that we, that we do, how do we find that? And how do we find the connection and to show and offer love? And so I had been jotting down notes for a while. And every time I'd sit down to try and write these eight minutes, I just would delete and, and start again and delete and walk away and come back. And uh, a couple weeks before I was supposed to give this, Kristen and I went to lunch. We kind of have these random Zao dates that we'll just... <laughs> Zao yes. is a restaurant, isn't yes. it? Yes. My wife has taken me there. <laughs> yeah. So... And we like the orange and the green curry, or the yellow and the green mix. Just, just that's Shout the out combo. for Zao. <laughs> it's what I do from now on after she taught me that. And so we just will randomly at lunchtime be like, hey, are you available? And it just so happened we both were. And I was telling her what was going on with this assignment for a ward conference. And she said, oh, if this is about loving your neighbor, do I have a story Loving for your you? neighbor that's different from you. This is, this is the story you need to hear. Yeah, for sure. And so she shared Dan's story with me. She was actually going to the temple with him that night. And this was on a Friday. And I couldn't get out of my head. Saturday, I thought about it all day. Sunday, I thought about it. Um, I texted her kind of like, how was it? And she was just like speechless. And, and so then Monday morning, I thought, this is a story that needs to be shared. And so I reached out to Kristen and texted her and said, hey, do you think that your friend Dan would mind if I shared his story for word conference? And that was mm -hmm. in the morning and no response, no response, no response. And then at 5 p.m., I got a group text from Kristen, Mickey, meet my friend, Dan, <laughs> Dan, meet my friend, Mickey. And he agreed to it. And the next day he came over to my home in the afternoon for a couple hours, which I will always cherish a sacred time that he shared his story with me. And I asked for his permission to share it. And I said, I would hope I would do it justice in the eight minutes that I was given, but that I knew that there was so much more and that I hope that he would have the opportunity to be able to share more of it than what I was able to do. Mm. That's great. Dan, I think you're up. Well, as <clears throat> I was telling these two on the way here, growing up in the church, <clears throat> um, knowing that I had this secret, you grow up feeling unworthy, ashamed, broken, less than, and even evil. I never thought a day like this would ever come mm. where I'd be sharing a story mm. with the church. So this is humbling, to say yeah. the least. Dan is just literally shaking, but this is, <laughs> this is a story that just, it's a modern miracle that we've had in our neighborhood and in my life. And, and it deserves to be told because there's so much discipleship and fellowship and, and just Christ-like love being extended by Dan and to Dan. And it's, it's been a, a real miracle. I'm glad. I'm so glad to have this platform. Thank you. So I grew up in the church, not far from here, again, in Cottonwood Heights. Um, when it came time for me to consider a mission, I went to the bishop and talked to him. And I finally told the truth. And he had me 
he assigned me to go talk to my dad and tell my dad. My dad and I grew up not having the closest relationship. It was later mended, but at that time it wasn't the strongest. So it was a difficult decision to make, but I was obedient and talked to my dad about it. And it was, it was better than I thought, but he asked me to never tell my mom it would kill her. Unbeknownst to me, my mom already knew. <laughs> so uh, I ended up going on a mission. I went to the Florida Tampa mission. Um, it was a wonderful experience for me. It's kind of where I found myself. I grew. I found where I fit in. Um, I didn't need to worry about the dating. I could serve the Lord and I could help others. At the end of my mission, I didn't want to come home. So I actually extended another 30 days and stayed out. <laughs> but when I got home, as all missionaries, return missionaries, feel you go through an awkward stage where you mm-hmm. don't know where you fit in anymore. And that's what I experienced. So I went back to the bishop and asked him if I could go on another mission because I knew that's where I belonged. Mm-hmm. That's where I was safe. He told me <laughs> to find some cute young girl and get married and raise a family. I was horrified because I knew that was not a possibility for me. And this was a different bishop when I came home. So navigating through life, um, I started meeting other people that were gay and feeling acceptance and feeling normal Mm -hmm. and, uh, Knowing that the church frowned upon my lifestyle, I I knew that I had to leave. And so I left the church for many years. And I used to call those years the dark ages for me, but later found out it was where I found myself in my journey through life to get to where I am today. Mm. And there were lots of stories along the way, too. Later on, um, after a a failed relationship, I uh, met Ryan. April 18th, 2003, and uh, we started dating and uh, ended up moving in together. And we lived up at Park, in Park City at the time and uh, began a new life up in Camas on a small farm. Wow. And uh, we're, we were commuting back and forth to Salt Lake, and that was getting hard to do. And I used to flip houses, and so he wanted to consider flipping a house. So we bought a house down in Salt Lake and moved into it, and we flipped it. During that time, we decided that uh, it might be time to consider adoption. And uh, we started filling out the paperwork for that. And shortly after, the opportunity came from Ryan's half-sister that she was pregnant, and she knew that she couldn't give this baby a good home. So she approached us and asked us if we would consider adopting her baby. And of course we said yes and got to experience the pregnancy and the doctor's appointments and watch his birth. And I even got to cut the cord and bring him home. So at this time we had moved to Harriman just months before and we weren't well welcomed or well received. (laughs) And all of a sudden, there's a baby in the mix. (laughs) Two guys and a baby. (laughs) And so, slowly, curiosity, I think, uh, made people start asking questions. And uh, anyway, we started to get to know a few of the people around us. But there were some 
tough experiences before that. And then October 1st, 2010, we were getting ready for vacation and Ryan got out of the shower that morning and suffered a brain aneurysm, which changed our lives <laughs> forever. And so he was in the hospital for three months in a coma for 17 days where we didn't know if he was even going to live or if he did what he would be like. But uh, he he came to after 17 days and went through therapy and rehabilitation, and we were able to bring him home on New Year's Eve. He was paralyzed on the right side of his body and lost his speech and uh, spent the rest of his life trying to speak well again. And through that experience, we learned, my family and I, and, and those that know us close, um, his determination to never give up and to fight and to keep living and to gain any part of his life back that he could. And so that's a gift that he left with us. Absolutely. And that happened when Riker was three years old. And this is when we only had one child at the time. About a year later, um, Ryan was talking to one of our next door neighbor who invited us to a trunk or treat at the ward. And when he told me that we were going to this trunk or treat, I'm like, Ryan, I don't think that's a good idea. These people don't like us. I don't think we should go. And he was stubborn. He's a Scorpio. And he said, we're going. <laughs> and so we decorated the car. And that night we went. And uh, there were. You didn't just go. You actually decorated your trunk and everything. Uh, All in. I love it. We do everything right. <laughs> <laughs> so there were mixed emotions there. There were mixed um, the way that we were received. But overall, it wasn't bad. Um, that night. We were sitting on the side of the bed talking about it, and we started laughing. And I said, what are we doing? And he goes, church tomorrow. Wow. And I said, we're going to church tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, Ryan, these people hate us. We can't go to church with these people. And he said, church tomorrow. So we got ready the next morning, and we went to church the next day. And that's where we met one of our dearest friends to this day, Debbie Peters, and a few other people. And we had a really great bishop at the time, Bishop Turner, who was very loving and accepting. And we started going to church every week. And again, it was mixed on how people received us. And you could see and feel, growing up gay, you, you know what discrimination looks like, feels like, tastes like. Mm. And... We had a mixed bag of all of that while we were there. As time went on, we decided that we wanted to grow our family. Riker asked for a brother every year for Christmas, <laughs> and we wanted, we wanted to grow. So Ryan and I went through the foster care system and got licensed. And uh, shortly after we graduated, we got a call that they had an eight-year-old boy that had been living on the streets. And so... <laughs> We took him in. <clears throat> Not long after that, within a year, we got a call again that there was another boy that was abandoned down in Moab, Moab by his mother and asked if we would um, take him in while they could get things straightened out. We ended up adopting both of these boys. Um, 
And uh, we've learned a lot from them and they have blessed our lives. And they're really good dads. <laughs> so shortly after Ry Riker's baptism, the church came out with the policy about um, children born or living with gay parents were not able to progress through the church. And that was a big pill to swallow. And we started, stopped going for a while. And in spite of that, we'd still listen to conferences. And uh, I remember one October we were being obedient and listening to conference and Brother Oaks got up there and started talking to about things that hurt our hearts. And we made the very difficult decision to turn the TV off. And that was very hard to do. But we were tired of being hurt. And we turned it off and we left the church again for a while. But then as time went on, Ryan had us going back and forth and the kids were involved in some of the scout programs. And we were getting to meet some of the people in the ward and loving them and um, being accepted more and seeing that the ward was growing and accepting us. And uh, then came December of 2019, Ryan fell sick again and he was diagnosed with double lung pneumonia. And a month later in January, he was still suffering from this double pneumonia. Finally, on Super Bowl Sunday in February of 2020, during COVID, um, we took him into the emergency room and we found out that he really had pulmonary fibrosis. Wow. And he was admitted and put in the ICU at that time. Mm. And uh, there our journey began with this new chapter in our life. When the word got out to the ward, what was going on? We had a, an amazing Relief Society president, Leah Reiser, and uh, they put together dinners for us. And Ryan was in the hospital for seven months. And wow. during that time, the ward rallied and brought us dinner every single night. And strangers appeared night after night at our door. But they came as strangers and left as our friends. And they didn't know what a difference they were making in our lives. They were touching us and helping us and supporting us through one of the biggest crises we could ever face. So July 25th, 1920 or 2021, Ryan passed away two years ago this week. And the ward rallied again and put together his celebration of life, which was beautiful. And from what I understand, there was no parking left. Mm -hmm. um, it was quite the full service. And we're so grateful for all the love and support we were shown. Shortly after that, our, our bishop called me in, sent out a message that he wanted to speak to me. And I thought this was where I was going to be excommunicated for being who I am. Mm -hmm. And instead, he asked me to take on a calling. He wanted me to be the face in the ward library to interact and socialize with the people in our ward. And so I thought about it and ended up accepting the calling. 
And I absolutely love my calling as the librarian. And the library has never been in better shape than it is now. He's so good. <laughs> he was telling us on the drive over, mm-hmm. you know, he has rainbow order and everything's of, color-coded. Everything is color-coded. That was available at Hobby Lobby. It's not the, I didn't seek rainbow. It's just that's what they had. So... As I was serving in the library one Sunday, um, Brother Curtis came to the window and he said, the bishop would like you to start attending temple classes. And this came shortly after my youngest brother had asked me to come to Oregon and be a witness for him and his wife in the Portland Temple. And when he asked me that, I didn't think in a million years that that was even a possibility, but I was honored and flattered that he had chosen me and asked me to to take on that role. And I just kind of blew it off thinking that's never going to happen. And then I get this request to start taking temple classes, which was one of the most beautiful experiences I've gone through with these two loving members in our ward. And I graduated (laughs) and uh, I was able to go ahead and get my temple recommend. And so the the Wednesday before Thanksgiving this last year, my brother and his wife decided to be sealed in the Portland Temple. And so some of my siblings and I um, caravaned up to Oregon. <laughs> and uh, I've never been through the temple with my siblings. So that in itself was a beautiful experience. Walking into the chapel, all of us in white, and we were honoring my mother, who loved that temple in the ceiling room, who had passed away, but we all wanted to be in that room, so we decided to be in our whites that day. And then the the ceiling began, and uh, when my brother walked into the ceiling room, (laughs) and we looked in each other's eyes, (laughs) I'll never forget it. I showed up. I was there. And it was an honor. One that I will never forget. So that began the the journey for me to get temple work done for Ryan. And this last April, around our 18, actually this would have been our 20-year anniversary this April, we got it set up. And I wasn't able to baptize either one of my sons at the time they were baptized. And so I was able to baptize my oldest son, Proxy for Ryan, in April this last year and confirm him. That is worth just pausing. So just so I can get a visual, you're in the water in white. Um, baptizing your son, who you're not able to baptize the son that's obviously been baptized for your husband who's passed away. Yes. By proxy. Yes. And I think something else to note that I think is really special is that Ryan actually wanted to be baptized when he was alive and took the missionary discussions and everything. But obviously, because um, of their relationship that wasn't able to happen. And so I think that's especially sweet. And also I have a lot of compassion for that because um, it, it, it took Ryan having to pass away 
for that to be able to happen, to be able to um, have him to be able to be baptized and and stay together and 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 just kind of the levels that you know they're hard that I think as members that fit easy into church culture that we can see um, recognize that it's it's not just black and white. Mm. I agree. Thank you. That is beautiful, Mickey. And I'm thinking of your son now who's missing his dad. Yeah. And he's got a dad here with him. And he's got the blessing of two good dads. And he is being baptized for his dad who died by his dad who's alive. Yes. What a beautiful family moment. It was. And then my next son stepped into the font and we got to do some more names for <laughs> Brother Lockwood. Oh. Who's in our ward who began the journey as a ward missionary with Ryan. And uh, they asked, they gave us a couple of names that we mm-hmm. could do. And then one of the ward members' daughters was there. And so I got to do some baptisms with her. And then afterwards, we went and did the confirmations. And then um, I did Ryan's um, initiatory. Initiatory, thank you. And then we got to do the endowment session later that evening where more family and, and ward members showed up. One of the most beautiful experiences you could go through. I remember standing in the ceiling room, celestial room, watching these ward members and family members come through the veil and just hugging each one of them, thanking them for being there, feeling like I was in heaven because it felt like that. The spirit was so strong. I could feel Ryan. I could feel my parents. It was just one of the most beautiful, deepest moments of my life, impactful. So, uh, that's the short version <laughs> of how I got here today. Of course, there's a lot of side stories. <laughs> Tell us about Ryan. Um, I don't know Ryan. These women know Ryan. You know Ryan. He's your husband of 18 years. Tell us about Ryan, if that's okay. I would love to share and honor him. Ryan and I could not be more different, more opposite. Um, There were 17 years difference between us. He was raised in a really difficult situation. Um, uh, He he was raised with abuse Mm -hmm. where it was so bad at 15, he ran away and never went back. Um, He basically raised his mom. He raised his two younger siblings. He was the responsible one in the family. Um, but at at 15, he needed to get away. And so he went up to a town called Tabiona and became a rancher with his uncle. And they did ranching up there. And he took, uh, people on horseback up to the granddaddy lakes and would leave them up there for a week and then go back and get them a week later on horseback. And he was living his best life. That was his dream. He loved horses. He'd had horses most of his life. and so. He was, that was his heaven. And he'd never really had a decent relationship or a good relationship until we met. And uh, 
with Ryan in my life, I grew in places I never thought I would be. I was more worldly before I met him. I was successful with my company, had the material things of life. And to me, that's what mattered. I couldn't have kids. I, that's what mattered to me. That was my focus. And Ryan showed me what really mattered in life. He, he grounded me. He put my feet on the ground and showed me that being together was more important than these worldly things and um, sharing experiences and going on adventures and traveling and just being real. And uh, he was a hard worker, one of the biggest hearts you'll ever meet. My family loved him. My family adopted him mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as their own. Um, he was, just had one of the kindest hearts. And after his brain aneurysm, when he was fighting to live and to come back, watching him was just astonishing. He never gave up. I mean, with half a body, he would, he finally learned how to drive again with the left-sided gas pedal. Mm-hmm. He was the best dad. He was amazing. He was a good teacher. He understood with our two sons that came from foster care where they came from, which is something I couldn't relate to because I'd always had a good family and had privileges. And these guys understood each other. So there was a really strong connection there. Um, People in the ward loved him. He he ended up getting chickens. Um, <laughs> and so raising chickens in our yard and teaching our kids how to be responsible for the chickens, he would take the eggs around to different members of the ward. And just it was his way of serving and showing kindness and that he cared about them. Um, he loved animals. He loved birds. He loved kids. He loved people. Um, he just he was an inspiration. He was such a great example for me. Being raised in the church, he showed me what Christ-like love was all about. Um, incidentally, um, I was asked to speak in sacrament meeting just a few months ago. And I'd been waiting waiting for a way and praying for a way that I could finally thank this ward. <laughs> a moment. <laughs> for all the kindness that they had shown us. And the topic was Christ-like love. And so I wrote a talk for my 10 minutes and I ended up. You got two more minutes. Than, <laughs> I know. Oh, Mickey dog. I may have snuck an extra two without permission. <laughs> but the talk that ended up coming out wasn't the talk that I wrote at all. Um, it was my opportunity to thank everybody for their Christ-like love because their Christ-like love is what helped us feel the light of Christ and come back to church. It was also an opportunity to talk about my boys a little bit and their, their background and introduce them and give them an understanding of who we are. And uh, I don't remember much of what I said, but I do remember that I floated out when I had to get down to the library. <laughs> and it also opened up some opportunities for people that I had not spoken to before that came to the library and, and said, thank you. And so we come from an amazing ward from where they, where we started to where they are today. It's, it's home. It's our village. It's our people. It's our tribe. And I just, I love being a part of this ward. They're beautiful people. 
This is just a beautiful love story, just like a straight couple, you and Ryan. Um, I've learned to understand that, and I've learned that two gay dads or two gay moms can be terrific parents. And um, you're obviously doing the best you can now as a single dad raising these three sons. And I wonder if you probably would have some feelings that Ryan didn't know he was going to die but somehow intuitively knew the church would be helpful for all of you. Yes. And it's good for your boys. It's good for you to have this connection. You'd obviously love to have Ryan too. All of you would, including your ward. Talk about, if this is a tender question, the next life. um, Do you hope to be with Ryan in the next life? And our doctrine doesn't really have space for that right now. We don't say a lot about the next life though. Do you, just if you're okay answering that, do you hope to be with Ryan in the next life? One hundred percent. I look forward to being in the next life with him, and I feel peace that I will be with him in the next life. I we feel his spirit around us so often. We know he's with us. We know he's watching over us. We know he's taking care of us. But I I feel a peace and a faith that we will be together in the next life. And listeners, I love that answer. And I think it's okay for Latter-day Saints to have different feelings about the next life, um, especially based on the personal revelation they're feeling for their own path. And so I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do this, but I hope no one would say, well, you're never, you know, just to say, I love your story. And we don't know enough about the next life that I'm just going, if that's your hope, I share the same hope. And it's not against our doctrine to have hope in your hopes. Um, I don't know if Ryan listens. I don't know if there's a way that people <laughs> on the other side listen. But... We have an app up there. <laughs> I, bet. Yeah. I bet. I bet the technology exists. But Ryan, hearing Dan talk about you and your role in Dan's life and your role of the feeling to adopting and having these three wonderful children. And there's so many people that are sorry you're gone but you're not forgotten. Um, And this podcast honors you and who you are and the difficult life that you had that your partner, Dan, is aware of. But I love his tribute to you. You grounded him. Um, You found each other in a committed monogamous relationship. You felt impressed to raise kids. Um, You felt impressed to go to trunk or treat. And then Ryan said, we're going to church tomorrow. (laughs) This is just a beautiful love story. And Dan, you've done... Here's just some things I wrote down, listeners, and I want to get Mickey and Kristen back on here. Is, um, I love what you said. I want to go on another mission because I felt safe. And that's an insight into your heart. And you loved the church. You loved your mission. And you felt safe there. And that's something that, you know, we can, that you're doing in this story. I love that you're one of your reasons for, you know, leaving the churches. I just wanted to feel accepted and normal. And I found that outside the church. And so I don't look at that as I'm turning my back on God. I just look at that as where we were and you just wanting to be accepted and feel normal and and felt that. Um, I like that you don't call these the dark ages. We joked about that maybe before (laughs) that. It's not like this period of your time needs to be wiped out as this time away from the church that's a bad thing. I think it's a beautiful part of your life. 
and it needed part of your life. So I don't look at this as a step back or you mm. walked away. Some of the shaming language we use sometimes when someone steps away from the church I, that I've used, I would just say, this is a beautiful part of your story. These women are nodding their heads. I love that you know the date you met Ryan, mm-hmm. April 18th, 2003. Um, I don't know that date for me and my spouse. <laughs> it's amazing. I just, I don't, I don't either, <laughs> my wife. <laughs> Um, I loved you being honestly, you know, after that talk, that conference talk from Elder Oaks and some of the difficult things that happened, you just said, I'm tired of being hurt. Listeners, I've just learned to validate pain, even if it's not my pain or I don't directly feel it. I think it's part of just being a faithful, committed Latter-day Saint to honor people's pain and to validate hurt and to honor that, that you needed to step away and heal a little bit. I love this line, they came as strangers, but they left as friends. And I love that your kids have you too. Ryan, on the other side, and you're here, and you are just terrific parents. And some of the narrative that couples in same-sex relationships can't be good parents, I just don't agree with, because the more stories I hear, the more I see kids doing just great. And you have opened doors for these kids that weren't available to them and love them and nurture them. And I wish listeners could see Dan just, he's got tears in his eyes. He's got this huge heart. He is a really good man who has, with the very best he can, walked a really complicated road being gay in the 70s. It's not easy now for you that are walking this road right now um, as a younger person, but we've made progress. Um, but I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you are where you are. Did you feel the ward? Because sometimes, and I might have done this, I might have saw you and Ryan and said, my goal as a ward member is to get you in the church. And the only way to do that is to split you up. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I'm going to kind of, I'm going to be your friend with the agenda to actually split you up so I can get you in the ward. Did you feel any of that? Or did you feel people just loved you and it wasn't a transaction? It wasn't because of anything? I didn't feel anyone trying to split us up. I I saw a lot of people trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. figure out what they believed, figuring out who we were, what we, who we, what we were like. Um, but the same principle applied. They, they would approach as strangers and become friends. And we just saw that grow and grow in our ward. Um, it, again, in the beginning, it wasn't like that. But there's such a cohesiveness in this ward now. This, even people that I've talked to um, that have never been to our ward say, your ward sounds special or your ward is special. And our ward is special. We've all grown together and we've been through a lot and not just with my story, but with some of the other stories. But I think that's the beauty of this story, Dan, is because like Kristen called this, this modern miracle. And you can see from your sharing that it takes love and forgiveness and curiosity and humility on both sides for you and for Ryan to okay, let's go back and try again, even though this happened or this happened. And for ward members to maybe have an initial reaction and then 
to change and get curious and get to know you and dismiss those previous notions and show love and kindness. And so for both sides of this story, for this, for the story to happen so beautifully, the way that it has, it's so great to see those Christ-like attributes on, on both sides. Um, it sounds like you, you know, kept your church membership this whole time. Yes. Um, and I love the bishop. This is where you kind of get some bishops approaching this a little differently. Um, some bishops, if they find a couple in the ward boundaries in a same-sex relationship, they'll kind of quickly go to church discipline, thinking that's... Mm-hmm. And I love your bishop apparently didn't do that. He, you know, it's not required in the handbook um, to, to, for church discipline. Um, there's only just a few things that's required. So your bishop felt probably like, you know, if you want to fully return to the church someday, we'll go through the repentance process with you to get you temple worthy, which you did. You eventually got temple worthy. But it seems like your priests and leaders let that come organically versus forcing the issue. Yes. And they, and I love that they, instead of going down that road, they went down the road of what can Dan do to serve that doesn't require a temple recommend? And they got you in the library. And you're smiling and just what a thoughtful pastoral approach that your ward, and you know this firsthand, Kristen, that mm-hmm. says, well, let's just have Dan be in the library. You don't need a temple recommend. Our goal is to make everybody feel welcome. And how different that would have been if this was just about church discipline and how that would have probably separated you from the church versus mm-hmm. let's have Dan be the librarian. There's lots of ways to serve. Um, without a temple recommend. Um, and I've always felt there should be no belief or behavior hurled to feel welcome at a ward, that the gate is wide at the congregation mm-hmm. level and it narrows to go to the temple. And so we can just create this atmosphere that Mickey talked about in her stake and that you practiced, and it wasn't theoretical for what actually happened. It was just, we just love Dan and Ryan. And we love them because our love is not designed to bring them back to the church. We love them just because they deserve to be loved. It's not an agenda. They're just wonderful human beings, and we just love them. Mm. So Mm. I'd love to get Kristen to share more, and I'd love to get Nikki to share more (laughs) and Dan to share more. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, being part of the neighborhood, um, I'll tell you that we did not start out as a special Word as a special <laughs> group. We did not start that way. Um, I will credit Dan and Ryan for giving us all second chances. And I don't know if you know this, but that's actually Dan's middle name is giving people second chances because <laughs> that's, <kinda> long. <laughs> that's how we have been able to get here. Um, you know, I remember when they moved in and the family that was there before moved out and my house, like my kitchen sink window looks directly at Dan's house. I don't know if you know that, but <laughs> it does. And I remember le- after learning that gays had moved into that house <laughs> and just how it's shocking about that the was. way we'd say it. I yeah, think like it was exactly. just like, they're really? unnamed gays in, moved in. <laughs> my neighborhood. Can this be happening? And you know, I'm loving, but I just didn't ever have much experience. Um, interacting with real life gay people in my life. (laughs) Um, 
about that same time, I found out that my bestest friend, who I always wanted to be my boyfriend in high school, was gay. And a lot of things started to make sense. And he and I um, got back in touch. And I just, my heart opened up because I knew back then that something was different. And I had no clue, no language, no experience to know what that was, but it all made sense. And that's when my heart started to um, well, and that's not even my heart. My heart was always open and loving, but, but just my, my own f- language and frame of reference. And when Dan and Ryan moved in, it was like, okay, well, we're, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do it. And then, um, we had our fire in Harriman and we all were that's kind right. of on the mm-hmm. verge of evacuating and should we, or shouldn't we? And we all came out and that's when we got really got a chance to know Dan and Ryan. Was that before the aneurysm or after? Before. Yeah. And so we got a chance and we found out that, gosh, dang, they were just like nice residents people <laughs> like we were and just so nice and loving. And and um, and I was in the primary presidency at the time we had that trunk or treat that Dan referenced. And we counted that as a huge success because we got <laughs> our gay family with their kid to come out and just, we really pat ourselves on the back for that and that they came to church too. I mean, this was like amazing. We felt so good about creating some kind of an activity that made them feel included enough that they would take another step. Um, and I, you know, as callings change, I had the opportunity to be a Cub Scout leader and that was my favorite calling of all time and I had two of Dan's boys come through my troop over the years and got a chance to get to know them and get to know the family more at that time too and it was so wonderful um at the time um I'm an adventurous you know family adventure travel and we were taking a big caravan of people out to Dinosaur National Monument and I invited Dan and Ryan to come with us and bring their two boys. Was it, it was just the two, right? Just the two. Yeah, just the two boys at the time. Um, and so they joined us and, you know, it was kind of a, a, a some, took some, con, some conjecturings to get Ryan into the boat, which we floated the river. And so we had to get Ryan into a raft, which, but we had enough. Because this was post-aneurysm. Post-aneurysm, so he, okay. yeah, but yeah. we had enough help. We had 14 people in that caravan <laughs> <laughs> on that trip. It was amazing. But we just grew to find out, lo and behold, that a same-sex couple is the same thing as a couple. I mean, it's the same thing. Why would it matter what the genders were? that their kids were lovely. They were lovely. A couple of my brothers came uh, and heard that I was bringing my gay neighbors on this trip and they were not sure how they felt about that. And at the end, they felt so stupid that they had any thoughts at all about that. And that, and they love Dan and Ryan and the boys. Um, And, you know, this whole, this whole evolution, that was my water bottle, this whole evolution of Dan's second chances, because there were a lot of weird looks and soggy interactions and Dan kept giving people chances and that allowed us um, the opportunity to gain enough experience to know what we needed to know. Um, And just, you know, a little tribute to Ryan, my boy, Ryan. Mm -hmm. I ran into him at the doctor's office. Um, This was after his aneurysm. And, you know, we were having a conversation. Speech was hard for him. So he 
he had to be patient and listen. And, and I, I was talking to him and the, we were in the lobby of the doctor's office and there was a lot of light and he leaned forward and he yanked a one inch long hair out of my chin <laughs> Ouch. that I hadn't known was there. And Ryan is the only person in my life who loves me enough <laughs> to take care of that problem for me. <laughs> and I will always love him, but that's one of my best Ryan stories. But it's just, um, you know, I, the kids go to the same school that my kids went to and the office ladies just know Dan and Ryan as the super dads. And in um, fact, when I shared this story in my stake, um, one of the ladies in, in one of the wards came out to me and she said, I know Dan, I work in the school. We call him super dad or dad of the year. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's an ongoing title that he always holds. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, our, um, I guess, so professionally, I am a dating coach and I work with people in their forties who have had very limited relationship experiences. And I know from working with this population of people full time that having a spousal relationship is critical and key to progress in this life, to growing and to progress. And Dan referenced that. Like if he hadn't, if he had, cho- you know, had to choose to be celibate, he wouldn't be where he is today. He wouldn't have that growth. Um, and I truly believe that this life is about progress, you know, and I'm a fully committed member of the church. And I just, you know, I don't know how we say to our LGBTQ brothers and sisters that they've just got to avoid this massive growth opportunity by not engaging in these relationships. It just logically speaking, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I'm, I'm waiting for some further light and knowledge and it's happened before. Um, and I think it can happen again. I think this is a real case of both justice and mercy. Um, and you know, not everybody has created the same. We know this, um, this is not new. And, you know, there are times and, and places where we need to, to include language that makes that abundantly clear for everyone, for everybody who is homogenous and traditional and for everybody who is not. And both ends of the spectrum need to know that there is unifying language that brings us together in Christ. And often the, 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 what I think of when I'm thinking about Dan and Ryan and the family and this situation and the church and its policies that are not always inclusive and that's not, there's not the, not the clarity that I'm looking for. Um, I think of the savior with the woman who was taken in adultery and he's writing something in the sand, you know, and I, I just, in my mind, this is my own, this is my own way. Like this, the savior accepts us where we are and how we are. Right. And it can improve us no matter where we're at. And I'm, I'm looking for a little more further light and knowledge. And I, I truly believe that we'll, we'll get that. Yeah. We have, I have hope in that as well. And, um, one thing I've learned, we had the opportunity in our state to have a former state president turned institute teacher turned, um, employee of the church who helped write the curriculum for curriculum for this, um, new class that was called answering my gospel questions. And one of those, you know, entire classes was on um, LGBTQ. And it was a beautiful opportunity to sit next to some of my fellow ward members who some had very old school notions. And some of us are, you know, wishing there was further light and knowledge yesterday. Um, But 
what I loved about that is that I came away from that class 100% accepting that it is just fine to sit here with questions. And I wish I had answers and I will have patience. And my heart extends to my friends like Dan, who, who live it. Where I, got, where I get to sit on the outside with my husband and my kids and, and give him hugs and tell him how much I love him, you know, but, but not recognize really the, the, the path that he's on. And um, one of the things in his story that really touched me, Richard, was, you know, just a, just a moment, a poignant moment was when he shared how when he, got, when he got the call that he needed to go in and see the bishop, he immediately thought he was going to be excommunicated. Um, how many of us that are living good lives and trying to raise our kids and trying to be good members of society and take chickens to our neighbors have that fear when our bishop calls? Hmm. And I think that, that that touched me in a way that there's so many levels to this community that I, I, I strive to learn about, but that I will never know. And I think that we can all continue to strive to get closer and move in. And you really don't want me to move in. I'm kind of <laughs> annoying, but, but to really get to know and understand and how we who fit lovely in church culture can make it a more comfortable experience for them. Yeah. And I, I'm in a bit of, I'm in a bit of a hurry. I wish we had some more, at least language, uh, inclusive language while we wait. Mm-hmm. Um, I I remember, you know, I had Dan's boys in my Cub Scout troop and they were baptized. And then the church came out with these policies and we had such great momentum and wind in our sails. I think don't, nobody knew exactly where this was going, but we were really glad that that the family was on board and that they were participating. They were coming to scouts and coming to church. And then this policy change really took the wind out of our sails. Um, and it really felt like a, like a gut punch. And I understand why they did it, but gosh, when you look at, start to look at this on a case by case basis, that doesn't make any sense. And it, it, I can't believe it took as long as it did, but I'm glad it didn't take any longer for them to reverse that, um, policy. Um, because it, it just, it simply doesn't serve. And when we're, you know, we're all through the scriptures, when we're looking about at the savior and what he did, he was a radical. He radically accepted people that others were not and could not because of their chosen behavior. Um, and, and this savior accepted them anyway. And in his, in his church, in his gospel, that's, I think we're going to get there and we're not there yet. We've come a long way. And I'm so grateful to, for Dan and Ryan, who, whose middle names are give second chances to people (laughs) who need them. Um, and I hope that we, that we get there soon and, and not only for LGTBQ, but, um, for, for single parents, we were all just sitting around here before we started recording thinking like single parents, can they be sealed to their children? Is this a thing? Like there are some inclusivities that we need to, to figure out at least language for, so that people on both ends of these, you know, our traditional lives will know how, how to proceed. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to to make sure Dan got a chance to say is um, t- talk about the uh, speech that you gave and the question that you had asked the whole group. Mm. 
You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <clears throat> Recently, I was given an opportunity to speak to the largest property management company in the country and about this topic. And uh, when I began my talk, I looked at the auditorium and I asked them all, can I see by the raise of hands, how many of you chose to be straight when you were born? <laughs> and not one hand went up. And I just wanted them to think about that because none of us chose our feelings. We're born with the package we come with. And I knew, obviously, in the pre-existence that this would be my package. And so I want to do my best to honor that commitment to my Heavenly Father and shine and be an example. Like I told my neighbor, I'm going to let my light shine and I'm not going to hide under a bushel anymore. And I wanted to speak it in her language so that she understood where I was coming from. And it freed me when I said that to her. And we've, it made us actually closer by having that conversation. And with that, my goal is now to let my light shine every day because I know I'm not broken. And Heavenly Father would never create me broken. My Heavenly Father loves me and blesses my life. And I have three beautiful boys to prove that. And I had Ryan. Now so, you got him as a guardian angel. He's our angel. Which is second choice. We'd rather have him here. Yes. Hmm. I wrote down some f more notes, listeners. I don't know if it's helpful. <laughs> I just feel like these three are the stars of the show. And um, I think of Brene Brown's quote, people are hard to hate close up, move in. and. That is my story with LGBTQ people is once I got to know them, everything shifted. I love Dan's practical application of grace. It is one of the best mm -hmm. examples I've mm -hmm. heard in my whole life of not only talking about grace, but extending it. Mm. I, I recognize that LGBTQ parents can be terrific parents and they can raise terrific kids. I think some of the language we've heard in the past is this is going to not be helpful for the kids, but I think you've got great kids and um, I don't think it confuses them with their own sexual orientation or their feelings, just like your feelings are what they are. You're, so I, one of the chapters wrote in my first book is LGBTQ parents can have great kids and they're not going to influence their kids in a path that's not authentic to them. And they usually just know this road so well that they're even better at helping their kids to choose the path that is right for them because they know how to compl navigate complicated things. Um, so I think your kids will continue to thrive. Um, I think of Elder Holland's talk about the chorus and I'm not music, musical, but I understand that um, harmony, well, harmony, I think, is when you've got all these different voices that come together. And I, I kind of thought at first, well, it's just nice that LGBTQ people feel welcome at church. But I think one of the things that your ward is learning is we're actually better off with Dan and Ryan. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Is It's not just that it's part of our baptism covenants to make them welcome we're actually better off because of the gifts, contributions, insights. They understand inclusion. They understand what it's like to be a part of a marginalized group. 
So the whole ward culture can improve. Um, so to me, that's part of the reason we need LGBTQ people is it's not just because it's nice, but they make they make us a better people. And that's not the reason LGBTQ exists is just to make straight people better. But I think <laughs> it's part of creating Zion is we need all of us in our authentic selves. And we can accomplish more in our authentic selves than we could in just sameness. Mm. Um, I also like this term that Andrew White introduced a few podcasts ago. He left the church, resigned, <clears throat> then he was rebaptized, and he talked about going back to the BYU Honor Code office and having a wonderful experience there with Ben Shalati. And he talked about how it overwrote the trauma. Mm. And <clears throat> There may be some of that that's part of your story is there's trauma with the experiences. And at, at some point, the, the best way to deal with trauma, and not a therapist, you have to separate yourself from the source of a trauma. But there may come a point, and this is me talking to you that potentially have left and wonder, could I come back? You may at some point with Christ and with good friends and a therapist feel like coming back can allow you to overwrite the trauma and actually help you heal from the original trauma. Any thoughts on that, Dan? I think it has. Um, and, and I do have a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has, it's how it's helped soften my heart. Um, I, I had grudges for years with certain things and those were heavy burdens to carry. Um, that they're pointless. And so coming back to church and learning to have that spirit of Christ again and healing and forgiving and learning and growing and, and letting my light shine has lightened that. And it just, those things don't matter. They just don't matter anymore to me. I, I like the, the journey I'm on. I like the lane I'm in and, and I want to just keep going and learning and growing and, and helping others and serving and, and that's one of the things I, I love teaching my kids is service to our neighbors. Um, that's such a good feeling. My youngest son the other day received a gift from a, a non-member neighbor actually just two days ago. And so we talked about that. And he said, Dad, I know that I'm not supposed, I know that I'm just supposed to feel good about doing the service, but she offered this to me. Is it okay? I said, mm -hmm. of course it's okay. But um, it, it, makes me proud of him that he knows that service is the gift and, and feeling good about what you did is the gift. And so that's what I'm trying to instill in the, these boys is service to others. That's great. It's a courageous story of being willing to sort of step back into the source of pain. And I have a new book coming out in September. It's called mm. Building the Good Ship Zion. Ooh. And wow. one of the chapters is written by an LDS therapist. It's called, where is it? Um, chapter three, ministering to those with church generated pain or trauma. Ooh. And it's, it's for people that actually have a fundamental testimony of the gospel, but have had so many difficult experiences. They separated themselves from the church and they kind of want to find a way to come back, but you have to lean back into the trauma and your flight or fight or response doesn't want you to do that. Mm. And you worry that heart of yours that's kind of been wounded, you naturally want to protect it. So you're guarded about general conference and you're guarded about 
what you might hear, but you also believe. Yes. And that's really complicated. And so you've been able to walk that road and have friends and therapists, but there are others that I think want to do that. And there's members that want to do better, just like this Warden Harriman. I like the idea that with ongoing revelation and that there, we're not at the finish line in this space, listeners, and I'm open to policy or doctrinal changes. The way I kind of navigate that is I don't know God's will and I'm not a leader of the church, so I don't sort of get into that space. I wouldn't. It's possible our doctrine or policy will change, and there's faithful members that hope it'll change, pray it'll change. I think the line in the sand is if you form community, um, which none of you are doing, saying let's campaign for changes. Um, I think it's okay to hope or pray or open up with others you want to something to change. I don't think that makes you a less committed Latter-day Saint. So let's get people that are willing to follow church teachings and follow leaders that may open up, that they hope something changes, especially in this space. Let's don't shame them with you're on the slippery slope to apostasy or not following the prophet. I think it's part of a Zion peoples to create space there. Um, I would invite LGBTQ people They've got to do what Dan's done. You've got to write your own story and hopefully do that with family, with friends, um, with God. And you've got to write your own story at a position of strength when you're the best personal best. And you come to these forks in the road in your 20s, usually are you going to be celibate? Are you going to go into mixed orientation marriage? Are you going to be in a same-sex marriage? And some of those are consistent with church teachings and some aren't. But I think you do better when you just write your own story. But I wouldn't go into a same-sex marriage thinking someday, and you didn't do this, but someday the church doctrine will catch up to me. It, it may, but I think you just have to write your own story, not expecting it to change to fit your story. I think you just got to write it. I hope that's okay. I think you know what I mean, so I mm-hmm. won't elaborate on that point. So for those of you that don't regularly listen, that's kind of how I frame up this space. and and. That's just the best way I can frame it up. But I'm certainly open for further light knowledge. Um, I think when we ask questions that perhaps we haven't asked before, we may get new answers. I don't know what questions our senior leaders are asking or what answers they're getting. But, you know, so I just want to create space that some people feel there'd be no change in policy or doctrine here. And others feel or maybe even pray there would be. So we've got more time. I don't know other thoughts that come to mind or anything I've said that's uncomfortable (laughs) with. And you kind of, this is your story. So I don't want to. I think one thing that I would like to share is how well received Dan's story was in, in my stake. Yeah. Tell us about that. that His ward is now no longer in my stake. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, over the course of sharing this with multiple wards, um, well, let me back up because one of the things that I, in having my conversation initially with Dan that also really touched me was how he shared how as being a gay man, um, especially when he's in or around the church, that he's he's very cautious, right? And he he waits back and he he isn't gonna put forth his hand and say, Hi, I'm Dan Link. Good to know you, because he said, I always fear that I'll be rejected. And that was another moment for me because. I put forward my hand and say, hi, I'm Mickey Everhart. Tell me about yourself. And I never feel that I might be rejected. Um, 
And so for him to not, not just allow me to share a story, but then to come, he asked if he could come and, um, to share it with him sitting there in the congregation. And, and I shared that he was with us Wow! and, um, to see the members in this room stand up and immediately go over to him and to find the commonalities, moms of children who were gay, a sister who it was her second time back at church for after being gone five years because she left because of LGBTQ issues. And, um, you know, it's just, just said, I have hope in Christ and that's why I'm here. And I said, well, I will join you with that hope in Christ. And to see the member of the state presidency that I spoke with go right up and shake his hand and say, can I give you a hug? I'm a hugger. And, wow. um, and then to see that repeated again and to see members in my own ward come up who, who I know I've sat in Sunday school classes with before who have said some pretty homophobic things in, in Sunday school lessons and to march up to the stand and say, you know, you're right. And I've had some, I've had some time to think about this. I've had a grandson that's come out as gay and I see this differently and you're right. We just need to love and, and, and show them the love that the savior would. And, and I've had people that have needed to get curious and that felt uncomfortable. And I've had some conversations and I have invited them to revisit the LDS tools app under, um, the life help section and how that is updated and changed and has beautiful resources and, and how we can exchange judgment for curiosity and how being uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's not, it's not of the spirit and it's not right and good and worth pursuing. And so I've, I've been so proud of our stake as well. Um, I've had leadership give amazing feedback. I had a, my former stake president nod and nod and nod in the audience and, and have really positive remarks back. And I just, I think that sometimes we, we, we don't want to touch the topic because we are all not sure and we wish we were. And so I, I was so pleased with the, with the reaction. I, and I was pleased to hear, um, you know, I went to the, my kid's dentist the next day and he's, he was in the one that Dan was in and he said, oh, you know, that was, did a really good job. And it, it's really made me think. And I said, I'm so glad because it's not just maybe, maybe a thought that we had before, well, they just need to do this or live this way. It adds a lot more commentary that really makes you think. And so I'm so grateful for Dan for having the courage and the vulnerability to share his story um, with me. And here today, I think it's so many people need to hear it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing my story. Mm. It's not something I ever sought after. Mm. I, I never in a million years thought I would be sitting here today sharing my story. Um, I just, I want to just be Dan Link and be a good guy. <laughs> and then this, this happens, but I've had some really amazing experiences too. And uh, Kristen was actually one of the people that came up to me when I was becoming more active in the church and when I got my calling and said, you're teaching us. And that stuck. Mm. And thank you for that. Well, it's, I mean, it's simply accurate is all. I just, there, there isn't another family in our neighborhood who has had a larger impact 
at making people stretch and rethink um, than your family has had. Thank and you. you absolutely are teaching us. Thank you. What a great compliment, Dan, to give Kristen. Or sorry, the other way around, Kristen, to give Dan. You are teaching us. Uh, I just, the amount of conversations that have happened because of this story and your stake, and now Mickey taking it to your stake, I think, as you all know, I think people are craving these vulnerable, honest discussions in the walls of our building about these tender topics. And I think you're right, um, Mickey, sometimes people don't know how to talk about this, so we don't talk about it. But you having the courage to talk about it, Dan being there, um, all the subsequent conversations that happened, it changes people. Um, I love your idea. I mean, I love you're really a good ally because you put yourself in Dan's shoes. You're not worried about getting texted mm -hmm. to meet with the bishop. And I think Dan's worried what people are going to say. So that's our job as allies is what can I, how can I signal to closeted or uncloseted people in my circle of influence? I'm an ally. And you need to figure that out. Some would wear a pride pin to church or a pride tie or put a pride flag out or put something in social media or just consistently say kind things. So, so the, the people, I think Dan is probably looking for who's a safe person. And you figured that out pretty quickly and more and more became safe. I love your point, uh, Mickey, about being uncomfortable. And that certainly, um, uh, often for me, that uncomfortable is the growth I need to go through to be a better follower of Christ versus the, sometimes I think that's Satan telling me to leave because that's a feeling I get sometimes, but often it's the growth and link listeners will link in the show notes. I love where Mickey said, go to Adela's tools and look at the, I think it's what's it life help. Life and then help. you go to same sex attraction. And it's and it public. Has, it yes. used to be just for leaders and they made that public. And there's a section on if I am, if my family members are, if I'm a church leader and beautiful stories and resources, so different from yeah. when I was raised. <laughs> and so I love that you went to church resources because often I wasn't aware of what the church taught. I grew up in the 70s and this was a choice, Dan, something went wrong and yeah. it's on you to become straight and yeah. I have no responsibility here, so I'm going to move on. Yeah. And now it's mm. our responsibility um, to create belonging for you because you're, you are who you are and who you are is a good thing Thank and you. nothing's gone wrong here and um, nothing needs to be fixed. I think that's a good, a really good point, Richard, because, you know, a few people that were uncomfortable with my message in church, you know, said, you know, I just, I just want to be able to go to the church and feel the spirit and not have to like deal with this stuff. <laughs> and I said, how did you answer that? <laughs> I said, I believe for us, whom church fits quite nicely into our culture and our, our lives fit very nice into church culture, it is our responsibility to be willing to get uncomfortable, to be able to make them feel more comfortable and have a glimpse of how they may feel every time they come to church. What an idea. What an idea to think through, oh, wait. They feel, they feel like this all the time, or they may feel like this all the time, or they may be on the edge of their seat, 
not knowing what comment might be made or, or things like that. It's on us. And, and this is where the rubber meets the road of bearing one another's burdens and mm-hmm. being willing to do that. And we say that we are, and these are opportunities where we can show that we are being willing to deal with things that are uncomfortable, even at church. I think that is the, I think, I think that is the purpose of church. I think that we need, we want to go and we want to feel the spirit and go home and be like, gosh, that was so great. But it's also a place to workshop and to how do I get to know Dan or, or learn about his story or hear about his struggles. If we all just sit there quietly and say, yeah, things are great. You too. Okay. See you next Sunday. I do believe that the more that we're able to um, create a safe space for that to happen, the more we all grow together and become united in Christ. Wow. I love your answer on why it's okay to be uncomfortable. Mm. And um, Christ helped people to become uncomfortable (laughs) um, and reconsider their views about other groups of people. Yeah. as an effort to to help people feel better. And I think that uncomfortableness, listeners, helps us be better parents and better friends because we grow and we develop better principles and we set aside past assumptions or past conclusions. Elder Uchtdorf has this quote, I quote, how often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? And, oh. and yeah, I knew two stories of gay people before I stepped in this space, and I thought I'd kind of check that box and I <laughs> could move on. But you listen, then I had priestly responsibility for a couple of gay men and, and listened to their story, and everything really changed. So proximity is really important. And um, it's just a beautiful podcast, one of the best we've done. The three of you are great together. Um, <laughs> I think we need to sign off, and the show notes will link to... Um, what Mickey just talked about, um, so you can be aware of what the latest church teaches. If you're a local leader, a parent, um, this is under Come Follow Me. Come Follow Me by helping everybody feel included, including LGBTQ people, not just an umbrella message on everybody to feel welcome. I think in this space, we need to actively unteach what we used to teach. Mm. And if we go to that section that Mickey talked about, then we can teach what the church currently teaches and even mention things we might have taught so that people don't have those in their brain anymore, mm-hmm. such as this is a choice or you had faulty parenting style or, you know, we just don't teach a lot of stuff, but we are teaching that everybody needs to feel included and valued and this is who you are. And we don't expect it's like an attribute like blue eyes or brown hair. It's a beautiful attribute that the atonement isn't going to change. <laughs> um, just like the atonement's not going to change my blue eyes to brown, but the atonement can heal broken hearts. And you probably know a lot about the atonement, Dan, not in its ability to make you straight, right? <laughs> but in its ability to heal hearts and help you move forward with all the pain you've gone through and now losing your husband and all the pain of, of your life partner being gone. Yes. I just want to say, too, the church has the right to evolve as we do, (laughs) and it has. I've heard so many comments, the church has taught this, the church teaches this. Yes, but the church also is evolving, and that's the church I believe in, and that's the church I'm following, and I have faith and hope 
in what the church is doing and has yet to do. And so with my faith, I will continue and uh, see where this journey takes us. It's great faith. Um, Kristen, Mickey, any final comments? You know, if you're going to give me the space, I'll just say uh, the, the thing, the only thing that is left for me unsaid is I know there's, there are people who, like Mickey was referring to that just want church to be a comfortable space where we can come and put aside these things and, and worry that, you know, the more we normalize this and the more we talk about it, then the more impact that's going to have. And we don't want that. Right. And, and they think, well, now that we're talking about it now, more and more people are jumping on the bandwagon. And what they don't realize is that they were always there. They were just suffering and you didn't know. And we don't want our brothers and sisters whom we love to suffer. And when we are able to talk about it and create space for them, then they can be who they are, just like you're who you are. Yeah, that's the only thing I left I had <laughs> in my mind. Well said. <laughs> and I'll just end with this um, quote by Elder Suarez from this last conference. He said, one of the most evident signs that we are drawing closer to the Savior and becoming more like him is the loving, patient, and kind way with which we treat our fellow beings, whatever the circumstances. I think we all can take that. That's great. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Thanks, Mickey Eberhardt, Dan Link, um, Kristen Sokol, S-O-K-O-L. That's right. Um, and all of you listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. And it's just an honor to have this platform um, so that a story like this can be heard by more. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.